Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. The Champions League first two semifinalists are set. What a ridiculous evening. La Liga clubs are celebrating as Unai Emery's Villarreal make history yet again and defeat the Goliath that is Bayern Munich. Unbelievable. And on the other side, Chelsea were remarkable, but it wasn't enough. Because Kareem, the dream, Benzema, Luka Modric and co. made it happen for Carlo Ancelotti. Probably saved his day as Real Madrid are through against the Blues. We got Michael LaHood. We got Jonathan Johnson. Christina Unko will hopefully join later on to discuss about some refereeing question marks etc etc but we have a lot to discuss we want your comments we want your questions we want everything engagement wise Kego Lasso Champions League Tuesday recap begins right now What's up, everybody? Kego Lasso Pod on Twitter, youtube.com forward slash Kego Lasso CBS Sports and your CBS Sports app. Like I said, Real Madrid, Villarreal. If you're a Spanish fan, celebrate with me. If you're an annoyed, bitter Ian Poljoy Bayern Munich fan, please tell me what happened. What happened? Jonathan Johnson, how are you, buddy? Hey, doing well, thanks. And yourselves? I'm good. You were one for two today, my friend. You said one game would go to extra time, and it did. And the other one was just about to head that way. And then Villarreal, El Submarino Amarillo made it happen. But you're you're half happy, Jonathan Johnson? I'm considering myself like one and a half happy. I mean, I did say that Villarreal and Bayern were both scoring that game. I just expected uh, Bayern to, to get the goal and then for it to go in, into extra time and uh, both teams to score there. But honestly, really, really happy for Villarreal that they managed to pull it off. Um, commiserations to Bayern. But, uh, you know, I think that uh, Unai Emery's men deserve massive, massive credit. And I look forward to picking through it with you guys. I love it. I love it. Michael LaHood, I know that your internet's a little bit wobbly. I bet it, the internet Ooh. got really excited about the Champions League, and that's what's going on. How are you, sir? I'm stressed. I'm stressed <laughs> because the Champions League, the drama, I just can't take it, but it was an amazing day, and the internet issues are coming because everyone was watching it here in Frisco, Texas, away from home, but doesn't take away the excitement for today's show and the excitement from today's games. Absolutely, my friend. Michael LaHood, at Michael LaHood, John underscore Legossip. Make sure to follow their content on Twitter. CBS Sports, of course. Kego Lasso, we're going to be talking about these games. And by the way, here is the bracket right now. Real Madrid is waiting for the winner of Man City against Atletico Madrid. We could have a repeat of last season, of course, as uh, Pep Guardiola overthought it. Well, no, the season before that, when Pep Guardiola overthought it against Real Madrid, we could have a Madrid derby on that side. My goodness. And on the other side, Villarreal, it, honestly, unbelievable. The fact that they're in the semifinals, historic here. They're waiting for the winner of Benfica and Liverpool. Incredible stuff. And that's the bracket. Let's begin, everybody, with Bayern Munich against Villarreal. Una Emery, the giant slayer. That's what he is. Honestly, it's incredible what he's done. Unbelievable. There are so many question marks about what Bayern Munich did or didn't do, Jonathan Johnson. But we have to begin by saluting this humble club. They don't have the money of a Man City. 
or a Liverpool or even a Bayern Munich, to be honest. And the fact that they're in the final four is unbelievable. And let's cast our minds back to 2005, 2006. Like if you told people that VRL would one day go on to better what they did that season when they got to the Champions League semifinals, they lost out by a goal to Arsenal. Uh, you know, I, I think many people would think you were crazy, especially when they dropped down to the second tier, because let's not forget there's been relegation, uh, you know, since then as well. So for them to get themselves back onto the European stage, uh, you know, not only to do it in the Europa League under Unai Emery, the, the specialist uh, in that tournament last season, you know, they're now looking to to, to make it back-to-back European finals. And it's, you know, it, it's, it's difficult to, to, to overstate, you know, just how major an achievement this is. I mean, you look at some of the performances put in over those two legs from some of those guys. Uh, you know, I saw Raul Albiol's comments after the game about being named man of the match, like, you know, one of the first times in his career. And it's great to see some of these characters that, that Emery has been able to assemble, that Villarreal have gotten together, uh, you know, finally sort of getting that moment in the sun that, that, that they've deserved. You know, Parejo has been underrated in La Liga for years and years, you know, for, to see him finally pulling the strings uh, and getting the credit that he deserves for playing such an important role, uh, not just in these games against Bayern, but also, uh, you know, the, the the collective effort that they managed to put together against Juve as well. It's, you know, it, it's huge. It's heartwarming, uh, you know, and it's, it's difficult to feel too sorry for Bayern when you look at how little they created given you know their their resources and how they dwarf Villarreal in terms of the the quality that they're able to put together in that squad uh you know and, and I think a large part of that comes down to the way that Villarreal really limited uh the opportunities that Bayern were able to get in these games and when those opportunities did present themselves Bayern weren't sharp enough in front of goal I think we need to really state just how amazing this is this is a really amazing, I mean, one of the comments was, yeah, there it was, Ollie, I believe, saying a full, you know, essentially Premier League rejects with the right manager who know tactics. They don't spend a lot. They're a collective unit. I mean, we had Arnold Danjuma on Kegolasso in February, and he told us, I asked him about Naimeri, like, what is it about him? And he was like, honestly, it's very difficult to put into words. Obviously, he knows his X's and O's and everything, but he really just, he knows exactly where he wants you on the pitch. He knows exactly what to get out of you and the attributes, and you said it yourself, Dani Parejo is so underrated. I mean, this is a player, I think he's third in ball recoveries in the entire Champions League, I believe. Uh, he, he He's top three in assists for the club as well. It's so great what Una Emery has done and continues to do. I, I, just, I still can't get my head about the fact that they're in the semifinals. All right, so from that Villarreal perspective, um, you also mentioned, I remember in the preview, Jonathan Johnson, that he made 11 changes in the weekend. And I guess it worked out. Everybody really just wanted to be ready and focus for this game. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I know everyone has different opinions about whether you should really be able to rest your entire team, you know, whether that breaks up a bit of the momentum, but also at the same time, you know, Emery is going to be looking at his players. He will know best uh, about the condition of those players and he will know that they've been giving everything in La Liga. They haven't been getting the results. I mean, even a rotated 11, uh, you know, still went toe to toe with Athletic Club in a very, uh, you know, fierce battle over the weekend. It takes a lot out of the players so for Emery to be able to to sort of rotate an entire team and still keep uh you know getting the results or at least not losing uh you know that in itself was impressive but 
going back to your to your to your point, I mean, I'm I'm delighted for Emery because this achievement it doesn't just show sort of what Emery is like in terms of uh, you know a, a, a tactician. Uh, you know, because he is a brilliant tactician. He's a fantastic footballing mind. Uh, it also shows, you know, how he has that really strong human connection. It's like what you were saying about Dan Juma. Uh, you know, Emery understands his players. So I believe that he would have looked at that group and thought, well, I need to give them a breather now because I need them to be absolutely 100% for this second leg against Bayern because I need them to give everything if we're to be able to escape, uh, you know, with... Uh, the 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 the, the semi final berth, uh, you know, in our pockets, he ultimately managed to do that. I wonder if he perhaps expected to have to go to extra time, uh, especially you know when it looked unlikely that they were going to get that goal until Chuck Wazey managed to break away, uh, you know, and hit them on the counter very late on. And I, you know, I I just think it was almost the absolute perfect uh, game plan executed by Emery. I think he probably would have been frustrated that they didn't come away with the clean sheet, given how they were able to limit Bayern just to that one Lewandowski goal. But it, it doesn't take away from this achievement. And I think it just emphasizes how Emery, you know, has been majorly underrated and, and, too bashed from his time uh, with Arsenal and PSG. You know, a lot is made, and I know you feel, uh, you know, very strongly about it, sort of the the caricature that's been built up of Emery. And it is unfair. We've discussed it a number of times. I mean, we were already delighted enough to see him succeed in the Europa League last season. So to see him now doing this, you know, giving Villarreal arguably their greatest European spell uh, in the club's history. And as we've discussed, you know, they already had that fantastic run to the semis in the early 2000s. It, you know, it it almost defies belief. Yeah, well said, my friend. I, I, I take it personal. Partly it's very personal. My father was always ridiculed about his accent. It's difficult to acclimate yourself in a culture. I'm specifically talking about his time with Arsenal. This is not, this is not a finger pointing at Arsenal fans. It's, that's not what I'm doing. I'm saying that a lot of the time what happened in his time uh, in England, and, and I, I think you said it perfectly, he, they created a caricature out of him. And sometimes, you know, a lot of it is his fault. I think the communication thing didn't work out, both from a language perspective, but also from a strategic perspective. You know, it just it wasn't a good relationship. And sometimes what you need as a manager is go back to your roots. Go back to a language that you know, go back to a culture that you know, and understand a club that wants to get the best out of you equally at the same way. And that's what's happened with Villarreal. It really has. It's amazing. And he has found a formula within this club, and he's found the right players that work together the right way. Because Etienne Kapoue, I mean, we know that what he can do, but in many ways, we couldn't really see the best out of him in other situations. Juan, Juan Foyth, I got to tell you, I haven't seen a bad game out of Foyth with a Villarreal shirt on. Like, he is so consistent, and that's not what happened with him at Tottenham. And the same with Arna Danjuma, you know, who's been kind of like a traveling man, Bournemouth, etc. It's unbelievable. So to me, this is what happens when you have a club that believes in your system, wants to support you, and equally the same thing happens. Let me ask you something, Jonathan Johnson. Let's talk about Bayern Munich then now, because obviously a little bit of fortune had to happen as well. You know, and I'm looking at the, the statistics. They had 24 shots again, just like the first leg. They only had four on target as well. You know, there are a few complaints from certain situations from Lewandowski's side. Lewandowski, again, you know, in for, for his standards, just not good enough. But was it just about that? Because when I saw the lineup and the formation, when we saw an HQ in the preview, we said, look, watch out, Villarreal. They're going to come at you. And for the most part, they contained the monster. How did you see Bayern Munich's approach for this game tonight? 
I think it, it was really shocking that it took Bayern sort of the best part of about half an hour, maybe even more, for, for Muziala to go close. And that was their first real chance of the game. Uh, and I think that Bayern really missed a trick in, in you know, not putting Villarreal under enough pressure early on in the game. Uh, you know, I think they what they really needed to do was fly out of the traps, you know, go at them. I mean, part of that was that Villarreal just didn't allow them. Uh, to do that, you know, we, we've spoken at length already about the credit they and, and Emery deserve. But also, you know, I think, I mean, on the topic of, of Lewandowski, I describe his, uh, his, his performance as nonchalant. Uh, you know, I don't think he looked particularly invested. I don't think he's looked really into what's been going on around him on the pitch, you know, for the last couple of weeks and months, certainly since, uh, you know, we've been uh, sort of charting them since the group stage in the, in the Champions League. So something seems to be going on uh, on there. Obviously, it's very difficult to keep such a majorly prolific run going over such a, a long period of time. You know, we can't take away from how fantastic he has been now for the best part of, what, three years, uh, you know, without really, uh, you know, taking breath. But also at the same time, there's a lot of speculation about his future at the moment and the performances on the pitch are not quite the guarantee that they once were for Bayern. That's not to say that Lewandowski not scoring four goals a game or whatever, uh, you know, is it, it would simply be the solution to Bayern's problems. It's not. It's not going to stop Bayern from leaking pretty much a goal a game, uh, as they have been now over the last couple of months. Uh, and it's also not going to sort out that sort of balance in midfield. I know they've been missing guys like Goretzka recently. You know, Kimmich has sort of been in and out of the team. But, uh, you know, there there seems to be something a little bit off uh, about this Bayern team so far under Nagelsmann. I'm not saying it's a bad fit. I just think that Nagelsmann is going to need to tweak it. I think that I suspect that there are probably some players who are either a bit too old for the tactics and the style of play that he wants to implement at Bayern. uh, And there are some players who are just not good enough. I look at that French uh, backline. I know that that French defence is is not good enough for, for a club of Bayern's stature. So I think that is definitely going to have to change. Uh, Upper Meccano is a bit unfortunate that he was kind of the full guy at both ends, missed a really good chance at one end, uh, and was one of the two players sort of caught out by that counter-attack late on by Villarreal. But, you know, there are definitely issues for the, for the German giants to chew over. We know that they'll probably still run out Bundesliga uh, winners this season, but they'll be frustrated that they haven't kicked on and dominated in the Champions League the way that we expected uh, after they won in uh, the 2019-20 edition. Yeah, and the shades were coming, the examples were coming all the way through the season, how sometimes Bayern Munich, even though they're so good, they open the door for you every now and again. Michael, talk to me about this game. Villarreal, incredible. Bayern, not so much. Well, let's, let's touch on the contract issue for Lewandowski. If you're Bayern Munich, that is the number one thing that you shift your attention to now that you're out of the UEFA Champions League. You have the league practically locked up, and if you don't, that's because you're taking a sawed-off shotgun and you're doing you-know-what to yourself and you-know-where to finish <laughs> off the rest of the season. Now, shifting over to this match, wow. I said it before last time out. I said good evening. Now I'm saying we all live in the yellow submarine, <laughs> the yellow submarine. It's not just a great Beatles song. It's a phenomenon that we witnessed today, led by Gerard Moreno. This Villarreal team, from front to back, they defend from front to back, and they're, they're really their attack starts in their defense from the two strikers. Yeah. I thought Moreno was excellent. And this has shades of their 2000, 
five 2006 Champions League winning run where they had an Argentine playmaker in the middle of the park playing in a 4-4-2 system with a free role, a one Juan Roman Riquelme. They have an Argentine playmaker. One again. of my heroes, by the way, Michael Lahu, just so oh. everybody knows. I love Riquelme. Oh. Yeah. One of the best, most iconic and natural number 10s we've seen in a long time. And now they have Giovanni Lo Celso who is just a spark plug for them. And it was his run forward off a of Danny Prejo pass. And he just gets a toe on the ball that springs Gerard Moreno. Moreno plays in unselfishly. Chakwezi, who came off the bench. And just team play is what won out in this leg. And I think the right team deservedly won. Yeah, Tosin McKinney, very happy. I know on social, uh, Nigerian-born uh, Villarreal players doing their thing, of course, for El Submarino Amarillo, Jonathan Johnson. I know that, you know, it's late for you. I know that you have to go soon. So, you know, I don't want you to go completely in on Real Madrid-Chelsea, but give me your thoughts quickly on that game. You know what? I'm, I'm really surprised, given the way that it seemed to be falling apart for Real, that they managed to, to come away and, and, and make it through. I mean, I, I kind of I feel really frustrated at the moment about this because I feel like everything I've been saying for like weeks and months about Real Madrid <laughs> has been proved correct. And they've still managed to end up in the semifinals. It's yeah. wild. It's a Real Madrid, Jonathan Johnson. That's literally what they do. You you know, Chelsea, and look, we're going to get into it after the break, but Chelsea did so much, so, such good stuff in this game, and it doesn't matter. It's just, it's just it, you know, yeah. it's that Champions League pedigree, Jonathan Johnson. So very quickly, as Real Madrid win this one, uh, do you fancy their chances, or is this it for them, do you think? I'm going to have to be careful now. <laughs> I, can, I can land myself in some real trouble. I mean, honestly, I think I think this progression or what we've seen from them against PSG and now Chelsea, uh, it kind of exposes, it's almost the best and the worst of Real, this current Real and uh, sort of Real under Carlo Ancelotti. Uh, you know, they're always going to have that pedigree, those players who can turn it on at any given moment and create something out of out of almost nothing. I mean, look look at look at Modric tonight, just absolutely phenomenal, rolling back the years. Mm. Uh, you know, like uh, like our friend Fabrizio Romano said, it was art. It, it, it wasn't really football. You know, and when you've got sort of that match winning ability on your side that you can uncork at any given moment, obviously you're going to have a chance to win these games. Tuchel's going to be furious. You know, his best laid plans completely ruined. Yes, they got slightly fortunate given the, the build up to Rudiger's second goal, but also at the same time, it's, I don't know, for me, I still fear that Real Madrid are very beatable, but assuming that they go up against Manchester City and, you know, that's a big assumption given everything that we've seen tonight in these two matches and what might happen between Atleti and City. I, I just feel that there is potential there for, for Pep to get himself into a bit of a sticky situation as well. So I, I would expect City to advance, assuming that is the matchup, but really anything could happen now, uh, you know, given that it's the semi-finals. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Michael, don't worry. You're going to chime in. Don't worry. We're going to talk. I just want to say goodnight to Jonathan Johnson because it's late for him. JJ, you've been tremendous throughout this week and beyond, of course. Jonathan Johnson will be back for us, of course, uh, regarding more and more content on Kego Lasso. But don't forget to follow him, John underscore Legos of CBS Sports. JJ, get some sleep, my friend. Thank you so much, buddy. Thanks a lot, guys. Yeah, Pleasure as night. always. Good night, JJ. You should change it to Jonathan Johnson, late good night. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Take care, buddy. Take care, of course. And JJ's a Villa fan as well, so we won't even mention the past weekend. But welcome, everybody. A nice injection of new viewers coming to the show. Welcome, welcome to Kego Lasso Champions League Tuesday. Rika, Michael LaHood is in the house. I'm here, LME, of course. By the way, like, subscribe, and get into that conversation. Even if we don't bring up or read your comment, we'll put it nicely on the screen. We want to show the love, of course. So keep on talking to us. If you're a Bayern Munich fan, what did you think of the game? Real fan, what did you think of the game? What's happening under Unai Emery? Can they keep going? Or is the magic stopping right here? Michael LaHood, let's now uh, wrap up Real Bayern Munich, and then we'll take a break. Uh, just very quickly, overall, Bayern Munich, you mentioned Lewandowski, but Julian Nagelsmann has to be extremely disappointed at how this ended. Absolutely. And if, if you look at the, the injuries that they've had, so much has been placed on no Goretzka, no Davies for a long time. But Sula, mm. that is such a missing piece. Look at some of the goals that Villarreal had in this across these two legs. I think if Sula is in, then maybe some of those goals don't happen, especially on the goal that Villarreal scores tonight. They go right down route one to score their goals. Big problems for Dangelsman. And I think the audacity to go three in the back and pretty much put Cockiness, the rest of the right? team, it's Little arrogance. Arrogant. It's yeah. absolute arrogance. That's something you would never see him do with RB Leipzig. And I think this will be a massive learning moment. And Amira was held up for not just he, but the rest of Bayern Munich. I think there's been a little bit of arrogance because of how dominant they've been in Bundesliga and the raised expectations that have been placed on this team for all the star power they have. Yeah, well said, my friend. And there you have it. We'll see what happens uh, for the rest of the season for Bayern Munich. And more, most importantly, their leading man right there, Lover, Robert Lewandowski. We're going to take a break, everybody. When we come back, yes, Real Madrid, Chelsea. I wanted a little bit from JJ before he left, but we're really going to get into it. Carlo Ancelotti advancing to the semifinals of the Champions League for a joint most eighth time, by the way. We're going to have some quiz questions for you when we come back. Actually, I'll ask you now. I'll give you a little bit of a break to see if you can figure it out. You too, Michael LaHood. Can you name the only other two managers who have matched that feat? Eight times in the Champions League semifinals. Don't say them now. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll give you the answer. Champions League Tuesday recap. Michael LaHood, LME. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back, everybody. Champions League Tuesday recap. All right, I asked you uh, about... Real Madrid, Ancelotti advancing to the Champions League semifinals for a joint most eight time. Can you name the only two other managers who have matched his feet? Michael LaHood, everybody mm. tell me. Mm, mm, mm. I'm going to go one, Josep Guardiola being one. And what about the old Madrid manager? Won a couple titles. Can't think of his name. Uh, El Bigote himself won the World Cup with Spain. My I, I hot or cold? You, you know what? You started that sentence the right way, my friend. It is a former Real Madrid manager, but it's not the one uh, you maybe think of. Pep Guardiola is correct. That's one of them. Okay. Um, 
Zidane nope. wasn't there long enough, I don't think, He's to get that. He's managing in right now. Yeah. He's, he's so, oh, my gosh. The forgotten one. He used to be the special one when he came to the Premier League. It's a J team, Jose Mourinho. Correct. Jose Mourinho at Pay Guardiola. Unbelievable. Uh, Real Madrid do the business. Unbelievable, by the way, uh, how this unfolded. Give me your thoughts of this game as Los Blancos make it to the semifinals at the expense of Thomas Tuchel's Chelsea. Oh, well, if they didn't make it, every single player on that team, maybe except Benzema, would have been ran out of the city of Madrid and the Madridistas would have just had the biggest uprising of annoyance and anger seen in history of the club. But when you have the experience, experience won out tonight and plot us to Chelsea for the way they started that game. This is the same Chelsea team that went out and won 6-0 at the weekend with the exact same starting lineup. I thought they had it right with the front three and playing with attacking midfielder. We see Chelsea typically play a 3-4-3 and having that one pivot and really, sorry, those three free-flowing players up top. But Mm. having Mason Mount in the middle of the park, it really put Casemiro under pressure, who I did not think had a good game. And it put Tony Cruz under pressure and locked up Madrid's midfield. And those three of Cruz... Casemiro and Modric are so pivotal. Now, Carlo Ancelotti, he deserves all the plaudits because subs change games. And his willingness to put, bring young legs, Camavinga, in the middle of the park again, which Camavinga came on and changed the tie against PSG with just his tough tackling and willingness to run on both sides of the ball. And, of course, the goal scorer, Rodrigo. Man, this guy, he's feeling it. Scored at the weekend against Getafe. Back on the score sheet again. Yeah, absolutely. It must be said, by the way, just to break it down a little bit, this game. And everybody, Chelsea fans, how do you feel about this? Because you were three, nothing. <laughs> like, it was unbelievable. The first half, by the way, perfect. Perfect strategy, perfect formation. You suffocated Real Madrid. They had nowhere to go. Uh, to your point, Michael LaHood, the players like Tony Cruz were like just, you know, kind of uh, so confused by what to do. There was no spaces it, it was a really great performance from Chelsea at halftime. And Ancelotti was probably thanking the football gods that they had a break in the first place. It looked to be similar in the second at the beginning. And, you know, to your point, the substitutions came in. But I do want to say something. There is something about this competition. It, Real Madrid are like an NBA team, like a, a star-studded NBA team. Sometimes when you're not feeling it from a strategy perspective, you need to rely on your individuals. Mm. Luka Modric, Karim Benzema, Vinicius Jr., they don't need a perfect game. They just need a perfect moment. And that's what happens to Real Madrid almost always. Unbelievable. And the moment they got just that one goal back, I thought, wow, is this going to happen again? Did anything... The moment that we got into extra time, Michael LaHood, did you still think that Chelsea had this, or was it a Real Madrid win, do you think? I think it was Madrid all the way. And and really, once Madrid got the goal, then Chelsea were desperate, and in desperate times call for desperate measures and almost desperate moments. But Real Madrid, when that call went against the, went for them for VAR, which VAR and Real Madrid and calls going for them go hand in hand, and I'll leave it at just that. that in that moment, you saw the momentum shift. And it was an extra gust of energy and fight, and the crowd got back in it. Prior to that, the crowd were whistling, they were upset, and there was doubt creeping in. But coupled with that, Carlo Ancelotti, I think coaching one tonight, 
And, and it was really a tale of two halves. In the first half, he was outcoached and outmatched by Chelsea and Thomas Tuchel. But in the second half, he figured it out. And you saw the subs impact the game. But really, Vinicius Jr. started getting more energy and impacting. And obviously, he claimed the assist. And that Vinicius and Benzema combination have been some of the most deadly combinations throughout Europe this season. Yeah, I'm checking on Chiringuito, by the way, right now. And, you know, although they're elated, they are questioning Ancelotti right now. They're, 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 they're worried about sort of the tactical on-play management. And when you face, if it's Man City, you know, a Pep Guardiola side that probably won't overthink it. And when you look at this side, by the way, I mean, I think Militao was a big loss absence here today mm, yeah. as well, by the way. You know, the, I believe he's, you know, uh, fourth in the entire tournament uh, in combined tackles and interceptions. He's a big player for them. And next to Alaba, that helps him a lot. To your point, if Casemiro doesn't have a good game, Michael Ahoud, then a lot of that triangular midfield work can break down. Benzema didn't have his best half, and then obviously doesn't matter. All you need is a lick, etc. So they're going to have to really pick themselves up a lot. But you're not going to see much more of a different lineup than when they face the next opponent. So really, it's an individual improvement, right? I think you're going to see a shift in the lineup, especially when you play against the Manchester City. Maybe Valverde stays on that right-hand side, but I, I would actually see Valverde coming in the middle of the park because they're going to need legs against Manchester City. City 10 We're all predicting that they're going to be <laughs> so I'm sorry if you're an Atleti fan, but I just don't see it. Like, yeah, we're just going right by. Hey, you but know. you know what? We didn't see Villarreal beating Bayern Munich today, or at least going through. At least I didn't. Did you predict a Villarreal win before this day? No, no, the, I did not. I will say I did predict an Atleti win against Manchester City to progress. That. So I, I, I really want this... Madrid derby and just ah, Atleti Simeone, if you're hearing me, just get stop the the destructive defensive football and let the boys play. Go yeah. for it all against City. But for Real Madrid, what what concerns me, yes, is what everyone's saying is it took them to the last gas goal almost to to get back in this tie. But what doesn't concern me is they have arguably the best player in the world in their ranks in Kareem Benzema and a player who is owning this competition and owning La Liga. Last time they had a player like that, they had Cristiano Ronaldo. Mind you, he had a, a much better supporting cast. Alonso our favorite, right? Clearly, yeah. Kareem Benzema. And, and, and so would you have a goal scorer like that and a guy who's finding ways, even when he's not playing his best football, still finding ways to be a match winner, you cannot bet against this Real Madrid team. And I think they will learn from this. A big thing I think they got wrong was they rested five players mm. from the lineup that went and thumped Chelsea in London and Stamford Bridge. Yeah. And Chelsea, they kept the exact same starting lineup. Continuity breeds momentum, and momentum is key in the quarterfinals and beyond in Champions League play. No more resting, no more shuffling. This is your group. Play them the rest of the way out. And, and see what happens. Yeah, I want to take this moment, Des Norris, if you're a producer, if you want to make this a card and put some classical music behind it, go ahead. But I want to take this moment to salute Luka Modric's ball for Rodrigo. I just Oof. want to take this little tiny moment. Here. <laughs> it wasn't a pass. It wasn't an assist. It was a piece of art. Mm. It belongs at the Louvre. <laughs> it belongs at the Museum of Modern Art. It belongs everywhere. It was one of the most magical passes I have seen in this competition in recent years. It was, I mean, the, the finish, Rodrigo's finish was beautiful within itself, Michael LaHood. That pass from Luka Modric, mm. like how, 
it's just instinct for him. It's like blinking. It's unbelievable what he did. He, he's he's aging like fine wine, aging better than Andrea Pirlo <laughs> did. <laughs> and Andrea Pirlo definitely had an amazing end to his career. Maybe there not is. in Major League Soccer. And and look at that beautiful face. Just one of the most beautiful footballers. No, I'm kidding. One of the most gifted footballers at Real Madrid, especially over the last decade. And he he, he just consistency. And, and now he's finding ways to be an offensive threat. I think in years past, Madrid relied on their front three of Benzema, Ronaldo, and Bale. Michael LaHood is frozen for us. He will be back, but he makes a good point regarding those stars. Of course, especially Luka Modric, by the way. Milo Road and Ilias just joined the chat. Thank you so much, guys. Keep on coming. Hello. I have a question for you. A little call to action, okay? So make sure that you like, subscribe to the channel. Is this the last time we see Chelsea at this stage of the competition for a long time? What do you make of it? Does a lot of it depend on the ownership? Does a lot of it depend on Tuchel himself? What are the new owners going to think if they come away with the fact that Chelsea might get out of the season or they will with no trophies? They're still hanging on to that Champions League spot for next season. But is this the last time we see Chelsea at this stage of the competition for a long time? It's a question I have for you. Another question I have for you. What do you make of... Uh, we have a few Real Madrid fans in the house. What do you make of Carlo Ancelotti? Do you think he got it wrong at least for 60 minutes? Do you worry about the next opponent, whether that's a Madrid derby or it's Pep Guardiola and Manchester City? We want to hear from you. This is Kego Lasso, Tuesday Champions League. Ilias Modric, magician, absolutely. And just because it's me right now, I want to answer. This is a Q&A now. So give me the questions. Ask me what you want to know about what I thought of the games. I want to go back to Villarreal's fantastic historic win over Bayern Munich. Tremendous stuff from Unai Emery, who reaches his historic first ever semifinal in the Champions League. Unbelievable. USMNT fans, what do you think of Christian Pulisic, by the way? Poor once again. Was a little too late, his introduction. Is it not enough? Do you think it was the wrong moment for him? What do you make of Christian Pulisic? All right. And here we go. Michael LaHood is in the house. Burr, 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 burr. Hey, <laughs> we'll finish this one way or another. Apologies to all you watching. I got all. you, bro. Don't worry. I'm always here. Don't here. worry. I'm oh. the host of Kegelas will never let you go. Don't worry about it. Let me ask you something. Rudiger's goal. Never hmm. a corner in the first place, right? What'd you make of that? I, I was surprised that, that that goal was allowed even to be given and not reviewed for the fact that it wasn't a corner. And it's something we'll touch base on later, why those things still happen. But you, you can't take away from the finish. In the box at that moment, there was a bit of confusion. And the referee's calls are going to be made. The referee's going to get it wrong. And the, lines crew, the line crew is going to get it wrong at times. That's called life. That's called football. But what I didn't like from Real Madrid was Rudiger gets an unmarked header. The most dangerous header of the ball from Chelsea yeah. cannot be left unmarked. And he makes Madrid pay. Thumps in the ground. And he's been a player who's been in form offensively. What he hasn't been able to do defensively in the first leg, he definitely has made up for offensively for Chelsea. And Chelsea, if there's ever a player that you need to pay, pay that man whatever he asks. If he wants a beach in Africa, give the man a beach. If he wants a gold statue, a tiger like Mike Tyson, give the guy. And, and mind you, he is also rumored to have interest and be in talks with the one Real Madrid. And Tony Rudiger was playing like a player who was auditioning for Real Madrid's back line tonight. Yeah, I don't think he's staying at Chelsea after all. We'll get him some good comments regarding uh, the ownership and what happens. The Added Time Podcast, thank you so much regarding that specific situation. All right, we're going to take another 
tiny quick break. And then when we come back, I want to talk a little bit about Manchester United. You're Manchester United, Michael LaHood, because apparently, reportedly, mm. they've agreed terms with Eric Ten Hag. We're going to talk about that for a second and a little bit more on Wednesday, and that should be it. But que go lasso, Tuesday Champions League recap. We'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Luka Modric tweeting, quitting is not an option. I love it, Luka Modric. Keep on coming. Giving up is not an option. I'm sorry. Mm. That's what Luka Modric just tweeted. Everybody is in. By the way, Christina Unko, uh, our referee expert, will be coming in soon to discuss a few of the questionable. And there she is, Christina <laughs> Unko, in the house. You're so busy. I feel so lucky to have you, Christina Unko. You're everywhere yeah. right now. You're in uh. London. You are talking to HQ. I'm just, we're all privileged, Christina Unko, to have you here. How are you? I'm doing well, thanks. And I, I don't know if it's really a good thing. If I'm bouncing around everywhere, it usually means that my team didn't perform. So, you know... I'm like sitting here and I'm like, what just happened? And I'm like, why is everyone? Oh, no. <laughs> it's like the bat, it's the bat signal, Christina. We need your help and we need to know what's going on. Well, welcome, Christina. Michael LaHood here. He's going to ask you some questions as well. And actually, perfect timing because we were just talking about the Chelsea game, of course. And the first question that we had for you was uh, Antonio Rudiger's goal, Christina Uncle. Obviously, you knew that we were going there. Came from a corner, but should have been a corner for Chelsea in the first place. How do you answer that one in the times of VAR? Yeah, in the times of VAR, VAR is not allowed to touch this. Um, and I know that might blow people's mind, but this was specifically mm -hmm. something that wasn't allowed to be put in the protocol, was overturning goal kicks, corner kicks, throw-ins. If we were to do that, literally every goal kick, corner kick, and throw-in that's kind of contested would have been put in VAR because coaches and players would have bought it reviewed. So, you know, IFAB specifically made sure that that wasn't in there, specifically based on the feedback and on trials, knowing that that would take up too much time, delay the game more than necessary. So, you know, when this one's stomach, and trust me, as a VAR, when you do see a referee, and I say, you know, details matter, and this is what we talk about, even though it's a corner kick, right? I reference it as a half a goal, right, in the game here, because the other half is just put in a way like, like what Rudigan did here in this place, right? But, you know, it, it's, it, it hurts. Hurts because as a VAR, your VAR here, Italia, uh, Irati can't tell him, "Hey, man, you got that one wrong. Change it." Yeah. We just, we just can't, yeah. even though we can see the videotape. And so it really, really hurts because it is a game critical decision. You know, it did impact um, the game. And I mean, this one was an interesting one because we had another one later on. So however you want to take it, but you know, this game giveth yet it taketh away at the same time. <laughs> and one moment that taketh away my breath still. <laughs> was the Marcos Alonso handball. Christina, was that the right call? What do you make of that play? Because that was a massive play that changed the match. A massive play. It's 100% correct. And I know everyone's screaming about injustice and, you know, it really <laughs> barely touched his hand. But the reality is it touched his hand. And so, you know, at least what we have in the in the IFAB, the ways we have to apply it, true, and this one's a textbook uh, laws of the game application, is that if there is any contact with the hand, and here, this is accidental. We're not talking about deliberate handling offenses. The only time we have accidental handling offenses that are uh, handling offenses is when it's an attacker who scores directly into the goal with the hand 
or immediately scores right after. And here, this one obviously falls into immediately scores. And because of that, it is a handling offense. It was proper for VAR to recommend it down. This isn't one that a referee is going to guess at because it was such the slightest touch that a referee shouldn't guess at this one. So it was the right decision. And this is kind of going back in history two years ago. We're in 2019. This actually would have been a good goal. We wouldn't have touched it. Yeah. Um, yeah, which because this would be an accidental handling offense. We would have said it's good. It's not the law's. 2020, they changed the laws to say not just uh, from the individual, the attacker who's scoring directly, but a teammate leading up to the attacking phase of play. And we had a couple of wonky, you know, plays like that, right? In Premier League where there was an accidental handling offense, two or three, you know, plays before it went to the back of net, VAR took back. So then the pendulum swung again and said only the attacker who scores. Um, so this one, this one's, this one, this one's one that really did bite, but we had to do it. All right, well, let's move to the other game, by the way. Robert Lewandowski avoided yellow cards for two bookable fouls on Raul Albiol. What do you make of that one? Lewandowski didn't look happy, uh, but regardless, he escaped. What do you make of that one? Yeah, Lewandowski should have been really happy, actually. <laughs> he, really, he would have been he would have been doing like when I refereed the Japanese international women, every time I gave him yellow cards, he'd always say, thank you, thank you. Like, that's what he should have been doing. That's amazing. <laughs> you know, because the first one, yes, clear, you know, yellow card, 32nd minute, solid yellow card, literally does the exact same thing shortly after. And this is where one thing I always get asked, do referees, referee these games differently than let's say league play and the answer is yes we're not hiding from it it is refereed slightly different right we're talking about a tournament play we're talking about moving on and advancing as opposed to a regular season game in one's league there's so many more implications from it so when we have the opportunity to keep a player on the field within the laws of the game and this one's what we would call an orange right if you gave a yellow or sorry if you gave a yellow card 100 percent supportable it would have been fine second yellow red etc but if we can find a little bit of a wiggle room to keep a player, not just because he's Lewandowski, but any 22 players on that field, the referee is going to work really hard to do that. And then we call that game management, a little bit of football IQ and understanding. Christina, last question for me. Are there any rules that you personally can see changing moving forward? We talk about every year it seems like VAR and refereeing seems to keep amending the rule book. What do you see changing moving forward? Uh, you know what, the, the one that I do personally want changed, and it's a bit with the application of VAR, is how we wait so long to signal for offside as an assistant referee, yes. when we yes, all know Christina. it's offside. Yes. And maybe because I'm personal to it, because I play, I had to play sweeper my senior year in college, um, that if I had to make that extra 20, 30 yard sprint, and even as a referee, if you got offside, I'd always say to my ARs, and this is not the right proper teaching, but I would always mess with them. When in doubt, pop your flag. Because I didn't want to have to make that 20, 30-yard sprint as the center referee. <laughs> but no, the, but like, you know, our, the assistant referees at this point, right, especially at the highest levels, they are so incredibly good. I don't know how they do it. By being with second and last defenders, seeing those things, mm -hmm. you know, if it's super, super tight, yes, fair, give it, right? We want goals in this game. But, you know, when they're two, three steps off where we know that prior to VAR, they would have flagged for that. And we know that that would have been an offside. It would have been a clean offside. Let's 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 get that flag up a little bit quicker. Uh, save the referee from the sprinting and your guys side. Save, the you know, the defenders from coming down and having to make that 20, 30 yard sprint and potentially save the goalkeeper with that collision with the uh, attacker. <laughs> Great question, uh, Michael. Lahood. Great answer, Christina Uncle, because I think it also avoids injuries, right? Mm. Because, you know, you, you know, there could be that moment where a player doesn't know 
whether he or she is offside. And then, boom, you get an injury as a result. Well, Christina Ankle, make sure to follow her content on CBS Sports, CBS Sports HQ, and, of course, Gago Lasso, a referee expert. Thank you so much for being here. And hopefully we won't need you that much. Is that an insult? <laughs> That's also a compliment, right? <laughs> it is. It's a compliment to my team. It's a compliment to my team. <laughs> Christina, thank you so much. Have a great evening, and we will see you next time. That was Christina Uncle, our referee expert here at CBS Sports. Uh, good questions there, Michael LaHood. I like the fact that she said that one, by the way. That's uh, that's a big one to me. It's a yeah. it's a big one that they take like a year to put that flag <laughs> up. And, and, and you know, in, in, the, in the middle of all that, you could have an injury because the player still doesn't know, uh, by the way. All right, let's uh, let's discuss Eric Ten Hag, Michael. Mm. Uh, reportedly, should be all set uh, per David Ornstein, confirmed as well by Fabrizio Romano. Um, it's all done. Personal agreements all set. So I guess Ten Hag's uh, laundry list has been accepted by Manchester United. What do you make of this move? Can he make the step up from the Eredivisie? I, I think it's the right manager, I said it before, but the wrong time. He's a special manager we, with what he's building and what he's built at Ajax. Being able to get the best out of young players and, and really build around the team ethos and the team style of play. This Manchester United group, the first thing he needs to do is take out the trash. There's yeah. just players past it, past what they can give to this team. They're a bunch of individuals. It's a house divided. And it's a locker room divided. I would start at the back. Harry Maguire, I would take the captain's armband and and just put it up in the dressing room and then give exit stage. Up for grabs. It's up for, for grabs, him. right? It's up for grabs when you have a new manager. If Harry Maguire is still the captain of this team, then I'm convinced that Ted Hogg is not the person <laughs> making decisions for this club and for this team. This the was next- for you, Michael, by the way. Elias just made a good point, and I've been thinking about this. As somebody like Donny van der Beek, this surely must help him a little bit. It it does, and also I think it doesn't because it, it puts a lot of pressure on him mm. and onus on him to play because if now he steps in because his manager is in, then he has to perform. Mm. There's there, It shortens the window of slip-ups and mess-ups for him that much more. Now, if you're a player, I've been that sort of player where you're out in the cold, and this is just how football goes. You're out in the cold one minute, new manager comes in, and he likes you, and now you're playing week in and week out. But Van de Beek, if Ten Hag likes you still, because <laughs> he may have changed his mind on you, you never know. <laughs> yeah. But I'm sure he still has high thoughts and praises because he got the best out of Dottie Van de Beek. That's why Manchester United paid all the money. But if he brings you back in the team and in the fold, you have to perform. And I think that's the type of player Manchester United missed coming out of midfield. I think his work rate and runs in behind – it's something that is undervalued by the club as of late, but there's just too many issues with this team. I said Maguire first, Cristiano Ronaldo. I can't believe I never thought I'd say anything bad about Ronaldo. I still can't come to, to terms to say anything bad about, but he's got to go. Yeah. Rafa Cardena go. says uh, he needs to prioritize that. Stan Hag needs to prioritize getting Rashford and Sancho back to form. If he can do that, mm. United might actually, be good next season. You, If you've heard or read or watched me on anything discussing Manchester United, you know that my biggest problem with United has been that it's a club too enamored with its past, failing to understand the present and the future. You focus too much on the glory days of uh, Sir Alex Ferguson. That's no longer. You have to adapt now to something new. Cristiano Ronaldo 
listen, it's not a blame on him. Getting him was a band-aid on a gunshot wound. There are so many issues that United needs. And Eric Ten Hag clearly says, and we had Fabrizio Romano on Monday, uh, Michael Lehud, and he said, one of Ten Hag's requests, um, specifically within these meetings, is saying, listen, I need to know that I have control over the decision-making because the Donny van de Beek situation, you pay all that money for him and you don't use him, that, that just can't happen anymore. You can't do that. Everybody that comes into this club is because they have something to offer. And I believe that Eric Ten Hag hopefully will get the best out of that. So you're expecting a lot of movements in the summer. What do you think? I'm expecting a laundry list of movements. And if <laughs> Ten Hag doesn't know which players to get rid of, I will email you. I will give you my number. I will WhatsApp you. I've been thinking and dreaming of this day for the past three seasons, Eric <laughs> Ten Hag. So, no, but realistically, yes, I expect big changes. And if he signed on the dotted line, that, that means that Manchester United have given him control in word, at least, and indeed, just like a one Pep Guardiola. Obviously, Guardiola won a lot of Champions Leagues in Germany and obviously that amazing Barca team. So mm. a little bit different of a story, but that was one big thing Pep did was before he signed anyone, he took out the trash. The yep. old guard, the Samir Nazaris, they were no use to the style of play that he was about to implement. And you see the fruits of that still on display today. The Kevin De Bruyne's, the Ilkay Gundagans. Those were the type of players that he went after and paid the money for. If Ten Hag has the freedom, I'm excited to see what players he brings to Old Trafford. Yeah, Dan Kane, as a Yankees fan, sadly, I agree. They're a little bit like uh, the Yankees of soccer. You know, focusing too much on the past, need to adapt, need to keep moving. And hopefully Eric Ten Hag will be the man for that. Well, Michael Hood is the man for us. Thank you so much for being here, my friend. Jonathan Johnson as well, Christina Uncle. But Michael, final thoughts before we say goodbye, perhaps something on tomorrow. I know that you predict an Atleti win, which is very brave of you. My friend, Liverpool have it done and dusted, all right? Yeah, Liverpool, you know, there's a saying at Anfield, you'll never walk alone. That saying will be true and stays true. And they're a team that will be very motivated because they got kind of got their butts kicked by Manchester City over the weekend. They were very fortunate to have come away with a draw. Felt kind of like a loss for them, at least, and really felt like a loss for City because City were the dominant team. But they'll be bored. They did just enough to get the result. And for, for Manchester City, oh, man, how you played at the weekend. I'm, I'm nervy about this game because Simeone, he's made for this moment. And if tomorrow can have half of the drama and the excitement that today had, it is going to be another special day in European Champions League football. Well, there's the bracket, everybody. Real Madrid is winning for the winner of Manchester City against Atletico Madrid and Villarreal, Villarreal, Villarreal waiting for the winner of Benfica and Liverpool. Tremendous stuff. Michael LaHoo, thank you so much, buddy. I appreciate you. Ah, thanks for dealing with technical issues and thanks for being a great teammate, Luis. Can't wait to get at, get at it again tomorrow. Of course. Hey, I have no choice. Our producer, Des Norris, is like, <laughs> stick around, man. And I'm like, I'm always going to stick around for Michael LaHood. But Jonathan Johnson, thank you so much. He's asleep already. Christina Uncle, a referee expert, of course. Don't forget, we have plenty more to come. By the way, our Champions League preview has the content as well for Wednesday's action in the second half. And we're going to come back as well on Wednesday for our Champions League recap. And that's, as we know, the final four. We have a little bit of fun as well 
with Europa League. We got a weekend preview as well. So much more great content to come. Michael LaHood, John underscore Le Gossip, Christina Uncle, LME, thank you so much on behalf of QG. Make sure to follow us on Twitter, Kegolasso Pod, YouTube.com forward slash Kegolasso. We will see you next time. Till then, have a great, great evening. Bye bye.